Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Cons Consistent Challenges and Thoughts, Part 3. And we're going to discuss how sometimes challenges bring out the best within us. That's what we've learned previously. Tonight we're going to learn that challenges create within God a special energy that nothing else can. So for it brings out within us our greatest energy, but tonight specifically we're going to talk about how within Hashem it awakens a deep a deep level, a deep energy. But I'd like to start off by sharing an, um, an amazing thought, thought that I learned this morning. You know, this week's Torah portion is called Baha'u'llah. It talks about the law to kindle the menorah. We know in the temple there was a seven-branched menorah. And we learn about how every day the menorah needed to be lit. Lighting the menorah has two parts. There's cleaning the menorah and lighting the menorah. The menorah every night had to be cleaned because every single day this, all seven branches would be lit. So you needed to clean the menorah and you had to light the menorah. Cleaning of the menorah, this is fascinating. Every night the cleaning could be done by only a Kohen. But the lighting of the menorah could be done by anyone. A Kohen, a Lavir, a Yisrael. Let's say this again. Cleaning the menorah from the old wicks and preparing the new wicks. Only a Kohen could, be, could, be, could do that. We'll, we'll, I'll share in a moment. However, lighting the menorah, anyone could. Why? Why this difference? And the insight is amazing. A menorah is illumination. But we have to make sure we're illuminating the right place. Only a Kohen, only someone of appropriate stature can prepare the wick. Only someone as a Kohen has the ability to go ahead and guide you. Right? You have to literally, every night the wick would actually be tilted in a certain direction. That only a Kohen could do. But illuminating sharing, inspiring someone else, anyone can. Preparing the way, paving the way, you have to have a guide for that. But forging ahead and illuminating, that is everyone's responsibility. I thought, I thought I thought was very apropos. Let's convene back. So we're in the middle of chapter 27, page 118. Page 118. There you, you, you open to it. And this idea that challenges sometimes bring out within us a greater delight we spoke last time really comes from the idea of food. We discussed food. Not everyone agreed. But we'll, we'll see it now. And the idea of food is brought to us from the story of Esav and Jacob. Esav was the older brother. They were twins. Esav was the older brother. 
And Jacob was the younger brother. They were twins? Esau and Yaakov were twins, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Rashi says, he says, Esau sold the firstborn. Are you familiar with the story that Jacob comes home and he sees Esau is, is a wreck? Other way around. Esau comes home a wreck and he sees Yaakov in the middle of making food and he says, Yaakov, give please. I need, oh, yeah, he didn't say please. He says, I need that food now. So Yaakov says, sell me your firstborn rights and it's yours and he sold it. So Yaakov now has the rights of the firstborn. And based off of this right, when Yitzchak wants to now bless the older of the two brothers, a trick happens, and he blesses the legal firstborn, which is Yaakov. Right, are you familiar with the trick? Esav, Yitzchak, Yitzchak calls in his oldest son, Esav, and he says, Esav, go to the field and f make me the most delicious food that you know how. The delicious food you know I love. Esav goes to the field, and meanwhile, Rivka, Rebecca, Yitzchak's wife, hears this, she calls Yaakov, and she says, Yaakov, you need to get that blessing, you're the legal firstborn. She puts on him skins, and she quickly makes a dish, and Yaakov brings the food prior to Esav. Before I continue, just by raise of hand, are we familiar with the story? I'd love to say it if not. I am familiar with the story. But, but, are, are we familiar? Yeah, I just didn't know that they were twins. We are familiar with the story. Somewhat, yeah. Somewhat. Somewhat. Yes. Somewhat. Enough for the context. Yeah. I just can't understand why Riff, What's that? It's a very different people. No, I can't tell why Rivka would... I mean, we, we know because we know who Yaakov is, but it's hard for me to understand if you have twin sons, why you would push one to get preferential treatment. Like well, she, Yitzchak wanted to bless his oldest, his legal oldest son. Right. Who is legally the oldest now? Esau. Yaakov. Because oh, Esau has sold it. What, now, here's... Esau came out first. Esau in the, in came out first. Inter just an interesting thought Rashi shares with us. If you talk about who was created first, this... The second child is further in. That means he was created first. The second child... It's an interesting thought, Rashi says. Just, but nonetheless, back to our, our point of conversation. Let me just share with you an amazing question. An obvious question. It's called a klus kasha. Let's look into this story. Yitzchak is blind. Unfortunately, he became blind. Three opinions, Rashi says why. He turns to his oldest son and he says, go make me delicious food. I want to bless you. His wife, Rivka, overhears this and she recognizes that Esau, firstly, is legally has removed the firstborn. Second of all, He's not the right person. He's not the right character to get this blessing. So she makes a whole scheme. Why couldn't she just go to her husband and say, let me just tell you, you, you got the wrong guy. Asa, 
just have a conversation with your spouse. What happened? She she couldn't have a normal conversation with her spouse and tell her and tell him what's going on. Why did she? She's the worst of them all, so to say. Just go to your spouse and tell him what's happening. Mm-hmm. Now, soon, Yaakov's going to return. Asaph wants to kill Yaakov. As the story continues, he's so mad at him. Why couldn't their mother just clarify the whole story to their father? Kabbalah teaches us that this story, this trick, was fixing up for the trick of the tree of knowledge. We know the story of the tree of knowledge. Adam and Eve, there was also a trick involved where the snake tricked Chava. And so to make up for that trick, there had to be now another trick involved. I can't explain to you more than that. <laughs> I'm, not a, a, I'm, not a, I'm not that knowledgeable in the Kabbalistic spheres, but I could share this point again. That it was important for this trick to happen and Yitzchak not know the difference between Yaakov and Esav, etc., in order to, through this, fix up the mistake that had happened a few thousand years prior with Adam, this, the trick of Adam and Eve. Okay. Did Yitzhak also not know that, that Yaakov had sold the birthright? And exactly. And he did not did, know. Why, yeah. That's exactly the point. Why don't not just clarify? Okay. What do we see in this story? I want to focus on one line. Yitzchak turns to Esav and says, Make for me delicacies that I love. Okay? I want everyone to look on page 120, footnote number 10. Page 120, footnote number 10. The words spoken by Isaac to Esav are allegorically interpreted here according to Tikkunei Zohar. Okay, so we're taking this verse of Aselim Atamim and make me delicacies such as I love. And actually we're saying that who is saying this item? Hashem is telling us, make me the delicacies I love. Hashem is turning to Mark, Dennis? Damon. 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 Rosetta. Rosetta. Basha. Hashem is turning to each and every one of us and He's saying, make me the delicacies I love. Okay? I'm not a cook. What type of, what type of food does Hashem want? And here we're going to learn that Hashem has two types of pleasures. He has pleasures from sweet food and pleasure from sour food, except it's not food, it's humans. Hashem doesn't eat humans, God forbid. But just like there is a different pleasure from sweet or sour food. Hashem has different pleasure from someone that is always doing what's right. That is a sweet food. And someone that has these challenges. That will be the sour food. Let's see that inside. We'll take all questions. You, you, um, I, well, I need more before I can ask questions. <laughs> I don't want to give too much because then you'll have too many questions. This is a tough topic, so I'm, trying, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's, I want to go deep inside you know, this. Average, average Page 118, right-hand column, bottom paragraph. For there are two kinds of gratification before Him, blessed be He. Hashem has two different types 
of things that make him feel good, so to say. One, from the complete annihilation of the Sitra Achra and the conversion of bitter to sweet and of darkness to light by the Tzadikim. One thing is, when, when life is beautiful, but there's only light, darkness has been completely removed, there's no evil, evil is gone. That's sweet. That's one type of delicacy Hashem loves. The second, when the Sitra Achra is subdued, while Sitra Achra, when the evil is subdued, but it is still at its strongest and most powerful, and soars like an eagle. This is a tough one. This is where many of us find ourselves. We find that the eagle is flying high. The evil is, is pouncing within us, but we're subduing it. When the Lord brings her down, Hashem brings down the evil through the effort of the Bainan and below. So one delicacy Hashem loves is, is yeah, when life is, there's no evil doesn't exist, but the other delicacy is the evil is there, but we're constantly pushing it down. How do we know this? This is quite a statement. You have to have a lot of guts to come and say Hashem enjoys the challenge. That's not, that's not a fair... We like to say our dream without thinking deeply is that Hashem just wants us to live happily ever after. That's kind of how we naturally perceive. But what we're learning now actually is Hashem wants us to live happily ever after, but His happily ever after is different than what we may think is happily ever after. It's, it's the world to come, right? It's certainly the world to come. But even in this world, the happily ever after may be having those challenges. Why? Challenges of learning. Exactly. That's exactly what we're going to soon learn. We'll learn what these challenges are going to bring out. But right now we're saying, Hashem loves the sweet. He loves the, the, the uh, dissolvement, the removement, the removal of evil. But Hashem also appreciates when someone takes the evil and pushes it down. How do I know this? This is indicated in the verse, as we mentioned previously. When, Esa, when Yitzchak, Isaac, turns to Esau and says, And make me delicacies such as I love. Make me delicacies. He doesn't say make me a delicacy. You know, in the English it's harder to really appreciate the depth of the wording. But in, if we look at the Hebrew, I'll just quickly explain. The word delicacy is spelled matamim. Matamim, the last two letters, the yud and the mem, mean it's a plural. That means Hashem is asking for more than one delicacy that I love. What are the more than one delicacy? Let's see that inside. The word matamim, delicacies, is in the plural. To indicate two kinds of gratification. Who is saying this? Who is saying that there's more than one gratification for me? Not only with, like, the true story was with Yitzchak telling his son to make me food, but the truth is, these are also the words of the Shekhinah. The glory of Hashem to her children, the community of Israel. As explained in the Tikkunim, the Zohar tells us that the same request, make for me a delicacy, make for me delicacies in the plural, that Yitzchak told Esav. Why did Yitzchak tell this to Esav? Because this is the same request that Hashem has from us.
Hashem says, make for me these delicacies. I know yesterday Mark made a delicious dinner. Right? So Hashem is asking you, make me dinner. Hashem is telling us, make me, and maybe breakfast, lunch, I'm not exactly sure. But Hashem is saying, make me food. The analogy is to material food, where there are two kinds of relishes. The, the request of the Shekhinah is using food. You say, make me food. <laughs> we can't give Hashem food. So what does it mean? One of sweet and luscious foods, this is like the tzaddik, where everything is beautiful, nice and dandy. And the other of tart or sour articles of food, which have been well spiced and garnished. The second type is taking kharif. Are you familiar with kharif? Have you heard of kharif? Spicy. You go to Israel, that's all they want to eat. They don't want the sweet sugar. They want the fiery hot peppers, chilies. So two, two styles Hashem is asking. He's asking for the sweet and the sour. But listen to this. Which one is greater? In a sense, the sour food is much greater. How do we know that? Because this food is garnished so that they are made into delicacies which revive the soul. All of a sudden now, the kharif is much deeper. You ever had horseradish and it opened up your whole brain? <laughs> it opens everything up. That doesn't happen when you have a candy. Yeah. Can I just throw in from a naturopathic point of view? Please. The flavor of sweet. There's a couple different things you can say about sweet. One, the way that you know things are ripe is they're sweet. And if they were back in the Garden of Eden, ripened by the sun and raised in proper soil, our carrots and our fruits and our vegetables were all sweet and that's how the insects were attracted, was through the sweet. The flavor of sour actually helps stimulate the digestive juices inside so that we're able to digest things better. And, so, and bitter, bitter they say, bitter on the tongue, sweet in the stomach mm. because it also stimulates the, the digestion. garlic is healing for you. Well, that's a very, I appreciate you adding that. So we see the difference, just, just adding to this point, that sweet and sour each have their attributes, but perhaps the sour is even healthier for the body. So let's translate this into our, how, let's translate this, translate this now. The sweet, the tzaddik, is beautiful. But the energy that the sour, that the, ba the, cha the man who has those challenges, brings out within God is even much greater. Much more what? Much greater. Much greater. Let's, let's see this further. This is what is alluded to in the verse, the Lord made everything for his sake, called Paal Hashem Ma'anehu, Vigam Rasha Layom Ra'a, also the wicked for the day of evil. Let's read this verse again. The Lord made everything for his sake. Everything is for his sake. So why did Hashem make evil? Also the wicked for the day. Why was wicked created? To make a day. When you take something negative and you make it positive, meaning and let's just, that the wicked man shall repent of his evil and turn his evil into day and light above. 
taking, we all know, right? right? We learn that in the place, in the place that a person that has done something negative is able to come, the greatest tzaddik cannot come. Someone that has never experienced a down cannot achieve the level close to someone that has fallen. Hashem wants that the wicked should take the negativity and make it day. But let's continue. This is the chap we say. Chap means the novelty. When the sitrachar is subdued and the glory of the Holy One, blessed be He, is blessed is He, is brought forth on high. You want to bring forth the glory of Hashem. So then take the negativity, take the evil and translate it, transform it into day. There is nothing greater than this. This is, this is much greater than what a tzaddik can accomplish. You want to go ahead and, and reveal the, great, the glory of Hashem in this world. There's only one way. By taking the negativity, taking the evil and challenging it. Just to quickly throw out that this is a major difference between Chabad and a lot of the other Hasidic philosophies. Uh, and, and now, to be, to be clear, I think almost everyone is slowly leaning towards Chabad. But initially, there was a movement which said, we have to protect ourselves. The hermit used to be the ultimate. The ultimate Jew used to be the hermit, the man who secluded himself, ate nothing, slept on the floor, and just learned Torah the whole day. With, no. So, with, with, with the coming of the Baal Shem Tov and the expansion of Hasidus and, Hasid, and Hasidus Chabad, we, we kept on learning more and more how the ultimate is not to separate yourself, the ultimate is to come in the world. Have those challenges. Not to bring on yourself challenges. No, no, no. Not that you should go to inappropriate places and say, I'm going to get there and I'm still going to be good. That's not at all what we're saying. What we are saying is don't run away from the challenge. In other words, I'll share with you that there were some Bahrim, some young yeshiva boys, who, this back about 30, 40 years, they had gone to a place a resort town where people didn't do really appropriate and modest stuff. And uh, my grandfather at the time, Rabbi Reichik, he was the very well known. Yeah, yeah, the shliach in California. He called up the Bachrim, and the Bachrim meant no harm. They honestly thought they're doing what's appropriate because there were a lot of Jews there. And my grandfather tells them, he says, You have 24 hours to come back to Los Angeles. Yeah, this is. We don't go ahead to, to, to come back yeah, the, to That's come back to Los, Los Angeles. Angeles <laughs> we don't ask Hashem for challenges, and we don't. But when the challenge comes our way, we take it face on. We don't ignore it. You really we don't embrace have to look it. for it anyway. You don't It'll have to. Come. <laughs> It'll come. Un unfortunately. <laughs> there are rocks in the river. <laughs> Where did these guys go, Las Vegas? <laughs> it happens to be at that time, yes, yeah. when they went to Las Vegas. <laughs> now, today, today already we have Chabad there, and things, they've kind of created a method how to make it work. But this goes back 30, 40 years, when it, at that point it still wasn't, uh, yeah. there wasn't protocol, etc. It wasn't appropriate. Okay. 
So you want to reveal the glory of Hashem? It's through the challenge. Okay, let's continue now. What we're going to learn now is that you don't need to do anything special. You, you just need to eat. You just need to talk and do. And you can reveal an even greater energy than anything else. We're slowly, let's, let's put it like in layers. The bottom layer that we've learned previously is that, this is what we learned in the past weeks, is that challenges go ahead is that every time we have a challenge we reveal the greatness of God. The next layer we're learning now is that that greatness is greater than the tzaddik. Is greater than the man who has a plateaued life. It's all good. Greater than that is the one with challenges. What we're going to learn now is that you don't need to have bad challenges in order to have challenges. (laughs) If you want to bring out, it's not that you need to go and search for the bad in order to reveal this greatness of God. We're going to learn that that the simple fact of postponing the time you eat, if it's for a godly reason, the simple ability to restrain your mouth from saying something you want to say, but you know it's not so appropriate. These items, this is it. You don't need to go ahead and someone has to put a gun to your head and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the simple challenges. Those challenges can reveal the greatness of God. But what we're going to add is that when you take those simple challenges and you take them face on, not only are you revealing the greatness of God in a greater level, we're going to soon see a little wording that's going to play a key role, but in addition, you're fulfilling an additional mitzvah. <laughs> Why? Previously, we learned that every time you have a challenge and you overpower it, you're fulfilling one mitzvah, the mitzvah not to follow your eyes and heart. We say in the Shema, to the mitzvah not to follow in, your, in the ways of your eyes and your heart, where, the, where, where your lust is taking you. So if you have a, something you want to do and you don't do it, you fulfill that mitzvah. Now we're going to learn that when you do something positive, so for example, you, you uh, let's take the example we're going to learn here. You've postpo- you're going to postpone your meal by a half hour. Why? Because you're telling your body, I'm eating not for myself, I'm eating, f- I'm eating for my body to be healthy and to allow me to continue, so I may as well postpone it a half hour. With that little item, you have subdued your evil inclination, you've kind of told it, relax. And you've now fulfilled a second mitzvah. What is the mitzvah? The mitzvah is, Vehiskadishtem, be holy. What is the definition of be holy? That means take the mundane and do it for holy reasons. There is a full chapter in Shulchan Aruch which tells us how every little detail in life we do can be a mitzvah. It goes from the most sacred to the most mundane. Sleeping. If we sleep in order to serve Hashem, that those eight hours are one big mitzvah. If we eat with the intention to be able to use this energy for something good, we've just had the most delicious meal and now we have, we've just done a delicious mitzvah. 
etc., etc. This chapter goes on, and I'd love to share with you. If you want, send me an email. I'll forward you a link to it online. So can I just ask a question Please do. there? If I prepare a meal and I eat it, it's one act. Right. If I prepare a meal and pray and say I'm honoring this meal or I'm ingesting this meal in the name of God, that is a different level. Because, Or if I say I am... I have prepared this meal so that I have the energy so I can go do something that's a different level. So tell me the different levels you're, you're the, Just speaking prepare of. the food and eat. Okay. To prepare the food. You, so you're, e you're eating just for the sake of eating. Right. So that's very mundane. That's versus I prepare the meal, I sit down, I say a prayer, bless the food. So now you it now it's a mitzvah. The same action is now a mitzvah. And versus, I prepare the food, I say my prayer, but I also dedicate it to. I'm taking this energy in for a great act. Right. Is that another level? Absolutely, absolutely. So then there's two mitzvahs. We always should make a blessing. Thank you before we eat, and after we eat. But here, yes, we're saying a, a deeper level, which is, in addition to the blessing, we're focusing that the food is in order to serve God. Yeah. So now that same mundane act you've done is now the whole ida, the whole act is a mitzvah. Is that also the rationale for generally not eating before morning prayers? Not really. That has a separate deduction from a verse. Yeah. You shouldn't eat before you shouldn't eat before you pray. Yeah. So let's see this inside. Page 120, bottom of the left hand column. Moreover, not only are we not only are you revealing the greatness of God. When you hold back from doing something bad, moreover, even in the case of things that are fully permissible, the more of his impulse that a man sacrifices, even if only for a while, meaning even if you're going to lose after a few minutes, you, hold yourself, you really want to eat this delicacy, but you hold yourself back for one minute with the intention of subduing the citra achra in the left part. As for example, when he wants to eat but postpones his meal for an hour or less, and during that time he occupies himself in the Torah, this is an important point because some people they forget to eat because they're busy at work. That's not what we're talking about. That wasn't a godly item. That was he your your excitement about making money or whatever it was held you back from eating. That wasn't godly. We didn't even think about it. You didn't even think about it, exactly. We're talk we're it's talking about a specific scenario where it's time to eat, but you say right now, I am going to hold myself back for a half hour from eating for the sake of God. And during this time I'm gonna now learn Torah. Okay? Now this idea is not, we did, the Rabbi Shneur Talmud didn't just pop this idea up. As stated in the Gemara, the Talmud tells us that the fourth hour is a time when all men eat. The fourth hour, 
means the fourth hour from daybreak. So let's say on a, on a, gen, a general day, um, the day begins at 6 o'clock. So generally, your first meal at Talmud shares is about 10 o'clock, four hours later. But the sixth hour is, when, is the time when scholars eat. A scholar, he's going to hold himself till 12. Why? They're, everybody's eating. It's not that you're going to eat more or less. It's not the conversation. It's a matter of eating 10 or 12. Because they used to starve themselves for two hours with this intention. The intention to, to subdue the uh, negative impulse within them and serve God. Although after the meal also they studied all day. It didn't affect, it would have, the study would have been the same amount of study. It's a technicality. They just pushed their schedule. They took breakfast and pushed it off two hours. But nonetheless, because that was done intentionally to subdue the evil within the evil energy within them and serve God, that mundane action of eating breakfast now is the greatest mitzvah. And we'll soon see what that greatest mitzvah accomplishes in heaven. What it's sounding to me is like a building of the will over the natural instinct. You have a natural instinct to eat, but then you have an intention to build your will so that it is more worshipful. Exactly. That's what we're learning here. Self-control. Exactly. Things that are naturally permissible, we're going to do them anyways. But control, control yourself. Make sure that you're doing them at the moment fully forgot. What it's going to... What if you have to go to work at 9 o'clock? No problem. Eat. Okay. Eat. That's, we're not saying not to eat. But what we're saying is that in your life, find a place where you're able to really focus for a minute and say, this is a godly moment. I'll give you an example. We have a... Tanya, we're going to learn this... In the, in the later chapters, we're going to learn about a lot about contemplation. We're going to learn about spending half hour, an hour, thinking about the greatness of God. Mm. These are going to create love and fear of God. But not always do you have a half hour. So what we used to learn in Yeshiva, what our mashpia would say, our mentor would say is, it, a half hour is a number. It's, it's a relative number. One minute, if you're busy running to work, that one minute could do the trick. Before you start praying in the morning, sit down and focus. And I want to tell you from personal experience, when you have something on your mind, one minute is an hour, right? <laughs> in the morning, when all my kids are screaming and I'm trying to focus, that, that's an hour right there. So it's not about specifically the, the time. It's more about the idea of really bringing God into what's happening. Okay. So we've, we've now brought an... Because uh, no, not all groups uh, feel that way about, what do you call it, contemplation. Isn't that true? Or is that pretty universal? You mean all groups as in... All, ju- all different. Like, I, I know that's pretty common with Hasidic denominations. I can't answer. I could just share. But I don't know the answer. I can't. I can only talk for... Well, because contemplation might be considered meditation, and I know some people have thoughts about if meditation is acceptable or not. So I don't know the I can only share what I know from my. I don't know the other perspective. I, I do it myself, but I. But I could share this much 
The Shulchan Aruch and the Talmud clearly state, before you start to pray, you should contemplate. So, that's a quote from the Talmud. But prior to, prior to prayer, you need to set yourself down and, and contemplate. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure the other side. But, but, uh, so, I encourage you all to take that moment of contemplation, half hour of contemplation, hour, however long you could do it for. So, remember we said there's three garments of the soul. There's thought, speech, and action. We're going to now bring you an example within each one of these garments, thought, speech, and action, of doing something small, but yet subduing the negative energy within you. We've now said action. One method of subduing the power of action is through pushing off your meal for a little bit. Let's continue now to speech. So too, if he restrains his mouth from uttering words that his heart longs to express concerning mundane matters. We all know this. I mean, I, I know this. I don't know about you. But I know those times, like I have something, I need to share it. But it's un it, it, I do not need to share it. My, my, I want to share it. And then when you think about it, it's not even appropriate to share. So if, if we have a thought that we want to share, but we're able to hold ourselves back, that again is subduing the evil. And now let's see how we could subdue the evil in our mind now. We've said in action it's through holding back by food was an example. In speech was holding back from saying something that we want to share, unimportant of course. If it's important we want you to share it. Likewise with the thoughts of his mind. Similarly with your mind. When a negative thought comes your way Hold it. Control it. You've now subdued the evil within you. So we don't need to go ahead and have these big challenges. It's not that we need to go ahead and be seeing some lustful thing and we want to do it and then we control ourselves and then the greatness of God. Not at all. It's, it's not where we're all, it's not, it's not at all what Hashem is saying. Hashem is saying every time you have one of these small, even a small challenge, you, you have a, a thought comes to your mind, you push it down. You want to share something but it's unimportant and maybe inappropriate, you hold it back. Each one of these times, you are subduing the evil. And what happens when you do that? Even in the least way, we're not talking about where you're... Again, it doesn't have to be this massive mountain you're overpowering. Even if it's a small item, whereby the sitra is subdued below. We are subduing the evil down here. And now what's going to happen? The glory and holiness of the Holy One, blessed as He goes forth above to a great extent. You are now taking the greatness of Hashem and you are going to reveal it in a great way. And I want to, let's go look at the specific wording we said. Because we've seen these words previously. Where did we see them? Let's turn to the right-hand column where we learned about how the end of the right-hand column, sorry, the end of the top of the second paragraph in the right-hand column. Do you see where it says, when the Sitra Achra is subdued and the glory of the Holy One Blessed as He is brought forth on high? When the Sitra Achra is subdued. Could you raise your hand if you have it? I want, again, we're in the second paragraph of the right-hand column. End of the second, that's the left hand. Right-hand column. This is the right-hand column. I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. Left yeah. hand, thank right. you. Maisha Mandel, you are 100% correct. <laughs> I'm, I'm very confused today. Left-hand column. End of, the sec end of the second paragraph. When the Sitra Achra is subdued. Do you have a Maisha Mendel? 
Let, so. Now it's the left hand. <laughs> I need your hand in two places. It's the same text. It, exactly. That's what I want you to see. I want you to hold your fingers on okay. both places. Okay. It says okay. subdued below. Whereby the Where's the, on the, on the, the right, bottom right? of the left hand column is with the intention of subduing this. So you have it on two, two places. So right here exactly. it says, the glory and holiness of the Holy One, blessed is He, sorry. Right here? Exactly. Here is one. Right. And here's the other. Yeah. The glory of the Holy One, blessed so, is He. So, but we're looking at the right one. We're looking at both of them. You see both of them, Gershon? Yeah. Here's, here's one, and the other one is right here. When the Sitra Achara. You have them both? Good. So now, let's recap what each one is talking about, and then let's look at the differences. The one on the left-hand column, thank you, Maisha Mendel, I'll go back. I'm going to discuss with my kindergarten teacher tomorrow how I could get a... I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll work on my right and left. Thank you for that. I apologize about it. So, on the left-hand column, we spoke about how when someone has a challenge coming his way, and this is talking about something negative, and he overpowers it. So the wording here now is, on the left-hand column, the glory of the Holy One, blessed is He, is brought forth on high. That's if you had a negative challenge. You saw something negative, it created this lust within you, and you overpowered it. So in this case, the glory of the Holy One, blessed is He, is brought forth on high. Let's talk about... Now on the right-hand column, we're not talking about a negative. Something, we're talking about something active you've done, something positive. You wanted to share something and you held yourself back. This is something now positive. You went ahead and you held off your meal for two hours for the sake of God. Something positive. Which one is easier? The negative or positive? Which one is naturally easier for a person? Positive. The positive. It's you're, you're in control of it. You've made the decision to do it. It may be a hard choice, but you've made this active decision. And yet, look at the reward for such a thing. The reward or, or what? The accomplishment. The glory and holiness. All of a sudden, there's a new word. Not only is the glory of the Holy One revealed, but the glory and holiness of the Holy One. Blessed is He goes forth above to a great extent. So there are two extra items added on the right-hand column. Number one is, not only is the glory of Hashem revealed the whole, in addition to the glory and holiness, and not only are the glory and holiness revealed, but they're revealed to a greater extent. Do you hear what's going on? This is unbelievable. Hashem is telling us, I'm not looking for you to kill yourself. That's not, God forbid. I'm not looking for you to go and, 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 and lose a loved one. And, and that's not what we're looking for. Hashem says, when I say, Hashem, when Hashem says that I love the challenge, don't make me bring you a big challenge. Let's talk about a little thing. Hold yourself back from saying something negative. This action is even greater than the big challenge that came your way. The big challenge that comes your way when you have this negative thought and you, and you overpower it, but it's... So then, 
Yes, the glory of Hashem is revealed. But when you do something active, it's much more. The glory of Hashem is revealed and the holiness and it's to an even greater extent. So the message that we've learned, the highest peel of the onion so far is that the simple actions that don't cost us our life, they bring out the greatest revelation of God. And I truly think that this is an amazing, amazing idea. Hashem is not looking for us, as we learned, there's an expression we learn in, in Hayom Yom. Hashem is not looking for us to, over, to rip up mountains. That's not what Hashem's looking. Jump off cliffs. Yeah, He's not looking for us to jump off cliffs. <laughs> jump off cliffs. Hashem is looking for us to take the simple things and make them holy. And that brings about the greatest revelation ever of godliness. The actions speak louder than words, and words speak louder than thoughts, as we control ourselves. Actions speak louder than words, and words speak louder than thoughts. It's, it's just an interesting way of saying it, and I'll, I'll share with you why. You're, you're correct, but the flip side is we learn that the holiest of the three is your thought, because it's more internal, but the most external of the three garments is your actions. But nonetheless, action is the outcome of it all. So what I'm saying so it's, is, it's correct. you get a bigger reward if you control your action. I don't, because you're controlling it. Right. And then you get a medium reward for controlling your speech, and then you get a little reward for controlling your thought. That I can't which answer. Which is the opposite to if it, the other side. I'm, I'm not sure not about that. Sure. I'm not sure. Okay. not necessarily... One of the things we learn is we have no clue what the reward for anything is. Well, are the Hashem is in charge. The stronger action, let's say. I don't know. How to say the, the, the greater holiness. The greater holiness would be. Right. Right. The greater holiness. It's, 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 it's a point. I, don't, I have to think more about that. To, to prevent the evil thought. Right. If I, if I had a thought of something evil and I right. took the action... But if I prevented that evil action, it's a greater holiness than if I just prevented the evil thought. You would think. You would, yes, <laughs> I, 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 you'd think. I can't, I can't I, confirm it, that. It's all. Yes. <laughs> so this idea we just learned that if you do something small down here, you're bringing, you're revealing the glory and holiness of God to an even greater extent means that the, the effect of your action is much, much greater. Oh, I, the effect of your, of your action is much, much greater than what you've really done. You did a small thing here, but Hashem goes ahead and He turns that into a massive deal. And that's what we're going to learn next week. I didn't realize we're over time and I apologize. But let's summarize where we're holding then. And let's summarize where we're holding and what we're going to learn next week. We've learned that Hashem loves the tzaddik, He loves the Bainani. Each one are unique. But the uniqueness of the Bainani brings out within Hashem something greater than, the, that, than what the tzaddik can accomplish. The 
effect of the challenge brings out within Hashem something that the, the Yitzhak cannot accomplish. However, even within the Bainani, when the Bainani takes the mundane challenges and he elevates them, when the Bainani takes the positive things that he's doing and he elevates them, that brings out something even greater. And what we're going to conclude with next week is that our little action here causes a tremendous effect from God. I'll, to give you a quick analogy and with this conclude, it's like the sun. The sun, you could just imagine the ray that hits us here it's much, much greater in its source. You could only imagine. And when we do something down here, it may be small, but Hashem takes that and He expands it. And He makes it massive. And the analogy given, Hashem says, is open up for me like the hole of a needle. Shem says, if you make space within your heart for me like the hole of a needle, I will take that and make it as big as the entrance to the sanctuary in the temple, which was 150 feet tall by... Nice. Yes. <laughs> May we all be blessed that we should find that at least hole of a needle for God within us. And from there, we'll find the 150 foot opening take place.